Well, good morning, church family. Uh, man, if I don't know you, my name's Ryan. I'm our lead pastor here. And uh, I, I told our previous service this, and I, I feel like I need to tell you as well. I, I actually don't like my title. Uh, I'm reminded that Jesus is the lead pastor of this church, not me. And uh, we submit to his authority. Uh, I prefer the professor pastor. <laughs> I'm going to be your professor uh, I've already told the church several times, like, that's one of the things I always dreamed of becoming, is just a, a college professor. And uh, my kids tell me I'm a nerd all the time, so I figured college professor seems right, and uh, I get to teach within the local church, and I love that. I love teaching God's Word. It's alive. I love Sundays. I, I, I love what uh, Pam, almost called you Pastor Pam, someday. Uh, she says, you can hear you sing. And I'm sitting there going, it's true. But what happens if everyone moves to the front row? I won't be able to hear anymore. The worship team will definitely hear you loud. But I, it's, it's a beautiful thing. You guys worship through song and it's awesome. And I love this part. We get to worship through the word. We got to get into the word so the word gets into us. We get life changing. It changes us. So we're taking a, a little break off ramp from our Acts series, Awaken, that we've been on. Uh, we've been through Acts in the middle. We're in the middle of Acts chapter 5, and we're taking a time out. We're going to do an off-ramp known as this, the unseen realm. And we're going to look at this idea of different things that we cannot see. The reality is there is an unseen spiritual realm you and I are not privy to with our eyes. We see the physical world, but scripture's very clear that there are two worlds. The physical as you and I know it, and there's a spiritual world as well. I often wonder, God, if you could pull the veil, the curtain of the physical world, and allow me to get a glimpse into 10 seconds of the spiritual realm, I wonder what I would do. My first response is probably this. Ah! Right? There's a reason why we just don't get to see this unseen realm, but the scripture's very clear. It's real. And I think we need to be awakened to the reality that there's another realm that you and I cannot see that is real, and it's after your soul. And so this morning, we're going to dive in, and I've titled this message, The Devil, the Flesh, and the World. The Devil, the Flesh, and the World. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at Jesus's words first in John chapter eight. If you want to turn there to the gospel writer, John chapter eight in the New Testament. So go about two thirds of your way through your Bible. You're going to hit those four guys, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. They write about the life of Jesus Christ known as the good news of Jesus. That's why it's called the gospels. And John's one of those writers. We're going to focus on his story there. John was a disciple of Jesus, probably the youngest disciple of Jesus, and we get to just journey together in this moment. So I want to have, uh, ultimately today, I'm setting the framework for the rest of this series of this idea of unseen realm. Now, I know because I heard from, you guys have the bonus of me shifting what I say because the nine o'clock service gives me feedback, and now I know what to shift things to. I'm going to give you the disclaimer and the warning you're gonna, this may be a message you're like, oh my gosh, Pastor Ryan, Professor Ryan has gone uh, by so fast. I need to re-watch this message. So that's the warning for us that, that I am going to fly through some things, explain it as best as I could, but there's a lot of scripture that you're going to be like, 
okay, what in the world is Paul trying to say? And I'm going to try to teach us it and help us guide in this. But we're going to have three conversations this, uh, this morning. We're going to talk about the devil is conversation number one. We're going to talk about the flesh and we're going to talk about the world. So have you ever felt like you've asked this question before? Why is my mind under so much duress? Just think about that. Like your mind feels like it's just, it's just always under attack and I can't get certain thoughts out of my head or ideas that I don't like. Like, why do I think this way? I don't like it. Have you ever been there before? Or this question, why do I feel this tug of war of desires within my chest that I know what's good, but this thing over here that feels wrong, like I'm, I'm, I'm tugged between good and evil, if you will. That there's a tug of war happening deep within the depths of who I am, deep within the depths of my soul. There's a tug of war. Or this, why do I keep coming back to self-destructive behavior? I know this is the right way, but I keep going down the path that leads me to very self-destructive stuff. And you know you don't like it, but you ask the question, why do I keep doing that? Or maybe you've asked this question, why do I feel confused with the ideologies of our culture? Why does it feel that I, I may know God's word, the Bible, but the way our culture seems to be going, like I kind of like, do I agree with them? And so a part of me feels like a pull to this ideologies of culture, but understanding scripture and how do these two, how do these two blend very greatly together beautifully, but at the same time, they feel opposed to each other. Can I just say this? We're at war, friends. We are spiritually at war. I love what Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. We have that letter to those Christians in your Bible, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, lays a foundational thing to those Christians in Ephesus. Ephesus is on the west side of present-day Turkey. It was the fourth largest city at the time of Jesus. It was a port city. It was the mixture of what I always said. This is the way I always describe Ephesians or Ephesus. It's the mixture of Manhattan, business, lifestyle, high rise, all that stuff with the wild living of Las Vegas, also known as America today, okay? That was Ephesus. And Paul's writing to those Christians to try to help them to get out of that culture and says, this is not the way of Jesus. Remember, you're Christian now. You're Christ-like. The old is gone. The new is here. Now it's to learn the way of Jesus. And he tells the Christians this in Ephesians 6, 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. He's like, Christians, wake up. It's not against the person, flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. He's saying this, there is an evil behind the evil. It's not just that person, there is evil behind it. Because the reality is there is war for your soul. And we must be awakened to that. To understand that your soul is a battleground. 
And that's why we're going to have these three conversations that set up the entire framework for the rest of this series. So, are you ready? Turn to your neighbor and say, take good notes. Turn to your other neighbor and say, grab a pen and paper. Okay, here we go. Ready? Let's have our first conversation. Let's talk about the devil for a moment. Ooh. So, what I'm not going to do today, I'll do this next week, is get into more of the devil. But I need to say this from the, answer, uh, from the beginning. The devil is a defeated enemy of ours. And God is victorious. Amen? But we must understand how much he hates you. We must understand his tactics so we can rely on the spirit more and understand when I am under attack. Next week, we'll get into a little bit more, like the origin of the devil. I realize through a lot of conversations, Christians just don't know how the devil came to be. And we'll get into that. And we'll understand that the devil is not that cute little red guy with horns and a pitchfork. Okay? Do you know why he's red? Why he's depicted as red to begin with? And good. Hang, you gotta come next week then. Okay? Do you know why he has horns? Come next week. Do you know why he's, uh, why he's depicted as having that little trident spear thingamajigger? Guess what the answer is? <laughs> you guys are smart class, aren't you? <laughs> right? We'll understand why that got played on the devil next week. But the devil, that we, I wanna, we wanted to get into what Jesus has to say about the devil. Because I believe Jesus is the word and the truth. So if Jesus says the devil's real, then we look and say the devil's real. So let's jump into John 8 and let's understand Jesus is having these, this conversation with these Jews. These Jews just began to believe in Jesus and he's going to have a conversation. And the conversation is going to feel like it turns south real quick. But we'll understand what he's teaching us about the devil. Remember, he's having a conversation with newly converted Jews to the way of Jesus. John chapter 8 says this. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. Now stop there. If you consider yourself a Christ follower this morning, a disciple of Jesus Christ, do you know his word? We cannot, as Christ followers... Come on Sunday morning and get the biggest breath of air. Oh, that was good. And go throughout the week. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I can breathe again. God's word is alive. You need it every day. Get into his word. Because true disciples of Christ know his word. And then he goes this. He's like, listen, you continue, you, if you continue in my word, you'll be my disciples. And why? Watch this. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Know God's word, which is the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's why we need to be in God's word all the time. The Lord teaches us things in his word. And then, oh, this gets fun. This is such a fun story. It says this. uh, We're descendants of Abraham, they answered him. And we've never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will become free? (laughs) Ha! Do they not know their history? Like there's a a country called Egypt, a guy by the name of Pharaoh who enslaved all their descendants for 400 years. And they're like, "Mm, we've never been enslaved to anyone. 
I wonder if Jesus is like giggles inside, right? Like, hmm, this is going to be fun. It's going to be a real fun discussion with these guys. And he goes on and says this, Jesus responded, very truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Oh, a slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son does remain forever. So if the son sets you free, you really will be free. I know you are descendants of Abraham. You did at least get that part right. But you are trying to kill me because my word has no place among you. I speak what I've seen in the presence of the father. So then you do what you've heard from your father. Uh Uh-oh moment. Jesus has declared, I have a father and so do you. And our fathers are different. And then the conversation gets real exciting. Our father is Abraham, they replied. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus told them, you would do what Abraham did. But now you're trying to kill me. Whoa, they just went from believing in Jesus to now trying to kill Jesus. Like, holy moly. He goes on, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. I'm telling you the truth. Abraham did not do this. You are doing what your father does. And then we weren't born of sexual immorality, they said, when we have one father, God. This is a slap to Jesus because they look at Jesus's life with Mary and know that Mary got impregnated from the Holy Spirit. That blows our mind already. And they know that that right there brought shame as a pregnant, engaged girl that should have been stoned by her community. And so they're sitting there going, we weren't born from fornication like you. We have one father. It's God. We're not really sure because Joseph, we know didn't impregnate your mom. So, mm. and Jesus told them, if God were your father, you would love me because I come from God and I am here for I didn't come on my own, but he sent me. Why don't you understand what I say? And he doesn't let him answer. He says, oh, listen, I'll answer for you because you cannot listen to my word. That is a better voice than me. Whatever that is, like, I want to speak that way. (laughs) Y'all won't be falling asleep now. (laughs) Professor Bibbs got a little accent going on on stage. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) All right. Verse 44. Here's the crutch. Remember, they're claiming the father is, their father's God. He says, you are of your father, the what, friends? Wow. Your father's not God. He's the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. Oh, he was a what? A murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. 
because there is no truth in him. He's a murderer and he wants to destroy truth. That's who your father is and his name is the devil. Then he goes on to say, and when he tells a lie from his own nature, because he is a liar and the father of lies. And then, yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Ouch. Jesus literally says, wake up, Jews. Your father is the devil who is a murderer and destroys everything that God has created. And you are out in destroying truth just like the devil. And so for Jesus, the devil was a real person. So here's the Greek word that Jesus uses there for the devil. So let's understand the devil a little bit. The Greek word is diabolos. It's the Greek word, and it means the devil. But here's the meaning. It means the false accuser, the slanderer. That's what the devil, okay? We have this word for the devil we also use, known as Lucifer, known as Satan. You want to learn about those? Come back. Thank you. All right? This is the proper name, by the way, for the, for the devil. We'll get into that next week, okay? But there are moments all throughout Scripture that also Jesus uses and the, the writers use. And I just throw up some other names for you. This is not an exhaustive list. But other names for the devil is the Satan, the evil one, the tempter, the destroyer, the deceiver, the ruler of this world, and the serpent of old. Those are just some grasps that I just threw up there. Those are other names, if you will, these little nicknames, if you will, for the, pro- the devil, this false accuser, this slanderer. And I know this, the devil is not imaginary. The devil is not a figment of your imagination. The devil is the evil behind the evil that's at work. And Jesus knew it. And Jesus is making that declaration. And I know you're here this morning, and there may be some of you are like a little bit skeptic to be like, ah, man, is this like spiritual nonsense, this whole idea of devil thing? Let me just meet you where you're at for a moment. Think of this question here. I want those skeptics just to ponder on this. What if, what if Jesus knew the true nature of reality better than we do? Because your assumption is already that you know reality greater than the Son of God does. What if his reality was true? Which leads me to a second question for the skeptic. And thinking this whole devil idea, the slander is just this thing. What if our society is blind to a whole dimension of reality? Wouldn't that be the greatest trick the devil would want to play? To get society to think I don't exist. Because for many, this idea of a devil and evil things is just a generic, "Mm, is it really? So I want you to sit as a skeptic to journey with us in this. I love what Jesus says. Let's go back to John 8. I love in verse 44 what he says. I mean, I don't really love it, but it's cool that it's there. He says he's the devil 
But then he tells us his mode of operation, what he likes to do. He was a what, friends? A murderer. That is what the devil's end goal is. To murder death. You can't, hold on, I said that wrong. Because murder is death. To kill and murder truth. Just to destroy it. He looks at God's life, or the God, what he created. And his goal is to tear down life. It's to take beauty and deface it. Destroy it. It's to take love and corrupt it. And it's to take unity within the church and defrag it. It's to take everything that God has created that's beautiful and pure and true and destroy that. That is what he wants to do. I love what John 10.10 says. I love this. This is Jesus. He says, a thief comes only to steal and kill and what, friends? Destroy. He's out to get you. But I have come. This is Jesus. That they may have life and have it in abundance. And Jesus is saying, I have come to do literally the opposite of what the enemy of your soul wants to do. He wants to destroy you. He wants to ruin your life. He wants to ruin your marriage. He wants to ruin your family and your workplace and the culture and our neighborhoods. He's out to steal, kill, and destroy. But praise be to Jesus. He says, I've come that they may have life. And not just life. Have it in what? Praise God. That's awesome. Not just to go, "Hmm, it's life. No, it's abundant life with Jesus. C.S. Lewis, a fantastic fictional writer, wrote this. This is his quote. He says this. There is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. That Satan is out. The devil is out to destroy everything God is claiming to be good. Destroy everything that God did. He's out to destroy it. And that's why if you're following Jesus, often life feels like war because it is. Because an enemy is out to kill you, destroy you, to distort truth. And then he says this, not only is a murderer, but he says this. Hey, by the way, uh, he tells lies. It's a bad thing, right? It's the opposite of truth. And that's his own nature. It's his native language. He's a liar, and he's the father of lies. That's how he operates. Let me go after God's beautiful truth, twist it, make it a deceptive idea or a deceptive lie, and hopefully you believe it. Because I'm out to destroy his truth and his good and his beauty. William Barclay wrote this on his commentary on the Gospel of John. He says this, every lie is inspired by the devil and does the devil's work. Falsehood always hates the truth and always tries to destroy it. And that's what you and I are up against for our soul. It is the fight to believe truth over lies. And sometimes if we're honest, we say the lies have gotten the best of us. We believe that lie of who we are and it's taken us off track to what God wants us to do. 
So here's the framework, and I'm going to build on this. This was, and um, John Mark Comer writes about it, Dallas Willard writes about it, a lot of theologians write about this. So this is going to be our framework, and we're going to build on this right here, is that the devil brings deceptive ideas and lies, and we're going to build on this framework. The devil brings deceptive ideas and lies. Is this making sense, friends? Okay, turn your neighbor and say, wake up. Turn your other neighbor and say, grab a cup of coffee. Here we go. Conversation number two. Jesus talked about the devil and he's out to deceive us with lies and these ideas. Conversation number two is the flesh. The flesh. The biblical writers talk about the flesh, particularly Paul writes about the flesh. And we're going to unpack, what does this mean? What is the flesh? Because you see it at war within. The tug of war you and I experience is believing lies that play into the flesh side of us. Here we go. John chapter, or Romans 7 says this. For when we were in the what, friends? In the flesh, the sinful passions aroused through the law were working in us to bear fruit for death. In other words, when we live into the flesh side of us, we will bear fruit. And no wonder why this fruit is death, because the devil is out to murder, to bring death into your life. And he knows how to creep in those lies so your flesh will take a hold of it. He goes on a little bit further and says this, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the what, friends? The flesh, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I'm doing because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. Have you ever been there before? I hate doing this thing. Why do I keep doing it? I keep doing what I know I don't want to do. And that's what Paul's saying. I love that Paul's like, yeah, I know you guys are going to get this. He's like, I live this world too. My flesh, I'm doing what my flesh is doing. I don't want to do that. I know it's wrong, but I keep doing what I hate. Then he continues. So now I'm no longer the one doing it, but it is the sin living in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my flesh. Because we have the presence and power of God through the Holy Spirit in us. And he's saying, I know that nothing good, when I live in my flesh, it is sin in my life. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there's no ability to do it when I'm living into my flesh, my sinful passions, my sinful desires. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I don't want to do. Now, if I do what I do not want... I'm no longer the one that does it, but it is the sin that lives in me. He said, it's not me. This isn't the spirit that's in me. It's the sin. It's the flesh that's within me. That's why I keep doing what I don't want to do. And I love Paul's honesty. Like we look at Paul and we call him the greatest first century missionary that started churches all over the ancient world. And he's sitting there going, listen, I know what sin does to you. But praise God that Jesus is more powerful than sin. Amen? And he goes on. So I discover this law. When I want to do what is good, evil is present with me. 
For in my inner self, I delight in God's law, but I see a different law in the parts of my body waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He says, that is the answer. I'm tired of the sin and the flesh in my life, but praise God because of Jesus Christ. I don't have to. Then he says, so then with my mind, I myself am serving the law of God, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. You've been there before? Tug a war inside. I, I, I keep doing what I don't want to do. But the Spirit is saying this way, but I keep going this way. It's known as the flesh. Even Paul writes to the region of Galatia, and he says this. I love what Paul says, because we're going to get to this in a couple, several weeks. He says this, I say then, walk by the Spirit. Here's how you do it if you don't want the flesh to win. Walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry the desires of the flesh. You must walk by the Spirit, and you won't carry out those sinful, passionate desires. So, let's talk real quick the flesh. The flesh in Greek here is sarax. Let me hear you say sarax. This is what it means, the sinful human nature. It's flesh. It's also been uh, translated in different versions. You could see these three. It's considered our sinful passions, our corrupt desires, or our evil desire. It's the flesh side of us. I love how Eugene Patterson, who wrote the message, it's a paraphrase of the Bible. Eugene uh, Peterson wrote this about the flesh. He says this, the flesh is the corruption that sin has introduced into our very appetites and instincts. That is what flesh is. And we're at a tug of war. We're at a battle with this. Turn your neighbor and say, don't be fleshy. Turn your other neighbor and tell, remind them, they, they need a little bit more reminding. Tell them, don't be fleshy either. See, our culture is so good today. Our society says, live into your flesh. See, our culture screams, the heart wants what it wants. Listen, your heart is part of the flesh that's corrupt. And it's hard to live into that. And he says, no, that's not good advice. We must live into what the Spirit of God wants. Not our sinful passions, which is known as the flesh inside of us. Or follow your heart. No, don't ever follow your heart. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. The writer of Proverbs says, man, the corruption that comes from you is from within. It's from the heart. And our culture, society says, follow your heart. Follow Jesus. That's the answer. Not your heart. Or we hear this in, in our society today. You just, you do you. No, boo, don't do you, do Jesus. <laughs> don't do you. Because you is often fleshy, sinful, passions, evil desires. Don't do you. I'm going to do Jesus. This is what culture and society is telling us. 
and it's hard. Or speak your truth. No, speak the word of God and speak it with grace and gentleness and help people be awakened to this reality that there's a battle and a war for their soul. Or be true to yourself. Don't be true to yourself because yourself can play into the flesh, which plays into sinful passions. Don't do that either. Don't do that. And there is a war between sinful nature, the flesh, and our spiritual nature, the spirit. And it feels like we're in a tug of war between the two. And oftentimes, please hear me, we are born with a bent to sin. Any parents in the house? Have you ever taught your child when they were little how to sin? They're really good at it on their own, aren't they? They're really good at knowing a two-letter word right away in life. No. Right? We did not teach our kids disobedience. But they knew it. Because innately, there's a bent of sin in our life. And here's how it all gets played out, as this is the framework. Deceptive ideas and lies from the devil. Twist truth that get played to disordered loves and desires, which is the flesh. The devil just has to twist a little bit. And we already have living in the sinful passions, and we buy into that because we have disordered love. We love other things more than God. We love self more than God. We have different desires than what God desires, and the devil twists little things that play into those. And then lastly, and finally, last conversation, the world. The world. This is played out throughout scripture. Look at Luke, in Luke chapter nine, verse 25, Jesus mentions the world. He says this, this is Jesus' words. For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole what, friends? World, yet loses or forfeits himself. He's saying, listen, it's either war. You can gain this world but if you do, you're going to lose your soul in the process, right? First uh, John, I love First John. Man, does, if there's a biblical writer that goes after things, like it's John. He's a little spitfire. I can't wait to meet him in heaven, right? I mean, he's, he's the youngest of all the disciples, but grows old and gets on an island because he's uh, exiled to the island of Patmos under the Roman government, and he's writing things. I mean, this guy, he's amazing, He's another one I want to play basketball against, by the way, when you get into heaven. So he says this, do not love the what, friends? The don't love it or the things in the world. Don't love them or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, watch this, the love of the father is not in him. Don't get caught up in the world. Don't love the things of the world because the love of God is not in you anymore. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, there it is, it gets played out. The lust of the eyes and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the what, friends? It's from the world. And then John says this, and the world with its lust is passing away. But the one who does the will of God remains forever. So how does this play out? 
You have the world, and in the Greek original, it's cosmos, where you and I get the word cosmos with the, with the C and not the K. That's in the Greek. There's different meanings. There's three different meanings to this word used in Scripture. One meaning is the world as we know it is this round globe you and I live on. It literally means the world, the roundness, the thing that's there. But it would be weird in those moments when Jesus says, hey, don't be in the world because, but we are, like we live on planet earth, right? We are, but Jesus, (laughs) the writers will say, don't be of the world. You're to be in the world, right? You and I are in here, we're in the planet, on the planet, but don't be of it. Don't partake of some things of the world. This is what uh, a definition of the third definition of the world means this. It's the system of practices and standards associated with secular society. So now we get this better idea. John says, don't get caught up in these practices that the secular society, the world that you live into, don't get caught up in that. I love what Gary, a theologian Gary Bershire says. He says this, the world is Satan's domain where his authority and values reign, though his deception make that hard to realize. If you were of the world, then it all seems right. But we know inside there's a tug of war between what's good and evil, what's right and wrong spirit but my flesh John Mark Comer who writes the book Live No Lies who we also did the ruthless elimination of Hurley uh, Hurley Hurley Her Hurry says this about the world his definition the world is a system of ideas values morals practices social norms that are integrated into the mainstream and eventually institutionalized in a culture corrupted by the twin sins of rebellion against God and the redefinition of good and evil. There's a war for your soul. There's an unseen realm that there is a spiritual side and a spiritual battle for you. And we got to become aware of it. The devil speaks his native language, shows you and puts ideas, deceptive ideas and lies to which uh, that play into our disordered love and disordered desires known as the flesh that are eventually normalized in a sinful society, the world. And that's our framework for the next several weeks. And you can see how the devil twists the truth of God to where it hits our flesh side and we live into that disordered desire and that disordered love and eventually those sins, those ideas get normalized and we think it's okay now but they get normalized in a sinful society that bought the lie in the first place. And we're going to travel. I think God is going to awaken us to some things. My heart and prayer is that God would awaken all of us, but you and I are to have gentle conversations with others. Say, hey, there's a battle for your soul, and these are some tactics of the enemy. 
So for the next several weeks, we're going to journey together and allow God to just open up our eyes to maybe perhaps some of the lies we're believing and to this reality to know that there's an unseen reality out there. There's an unseen world that's after you. And I close with this, Romans 8. See, chapters and verses didn't get into the Bible till centuries later. So when you read, we read Romans 7 and understand this idea that Paul's saying there's a battle of flesh and sinful passions and all that in my, in my walk with Christ. He says that. The chapter 8 follows all of that. And Romans chapter 8 immediately says, after all that, that I battle and, and I'm, I'm a slave to sin and my, my flesh does these things I don't want to do. And he reminds the Christians immediately, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. That God does not condemn us. Why? Because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Amen? That we can walk victorious. We need to be aware of the spiritual battle for our souls, but we walk in victorious because the tomb and grave has been defeated. Amen? That there is no other name but the name of Jesus and darkness trembles and demons flee at the mention of the name because we serve a victorious God and that we have a defeated enemy that is trying to take us down. But our God's victorious. So know that as we walk. So church family, will you please stand? And we're going to close with that song, Tremble. May it just be the worship from the depths of our soul that we realize there is no other name but the name of Jesus.